1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are, locked and loaded once again for another episode, another jam-packed episode today, ladies and gentlemen, of the Conspiracy Farm, where, no, we do not go out and hunt for the conspiracies. They're already there. We just sprinkle a little bit of water on them. And today, man, another heavy hitter, ladies and gentlemen. This guy is one of those uh, genuine, certified badass. I'm talking about a quarter of a century Working in special ops as a former Navy SEAL and other applications, he is jack of many trades. Quite frankly, writer, director, producer, entrepreneur. The guy's uh, appeared in House of Cards, does some consulting work for the Splinter Cell, the last couple splinter, uh, splinter Cell video games. That's Tom Clancy stuff. And uh, currently, he's working with uh, Mr. Steven Seagal as um, jack of many trades once again for Steamroller Productions. And he is also, this is very cool, ladies and gentlemen, founder of the Save Me Foundation. And this is a foundation, pretty much the epidemic that's going on right now with heroin and opiate addiction. This is a foundation that fights that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. Mr. Woody, mister, how are you today, sir? Dandy. Dandy. And of course, I am always with my sidekick, uh, Rolling Shotgun, with UFC Hall of Famer Pat Millett. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited. Usually we have all these um, strictly academics.
2: Last week we had a an Oxford PhD on the show. This week we get a we get a man's man, buddy.
1: Without a doubt. Like I said in the beginning, certified badass. But before we get started, champ, and I hope you don't mind if I do this, let us uh, thank the the Texas rattlesnake, ladies and gentlemen, Stone Cold Steve Austin, for having the UFC Hall of Famer Pat Militich on the show, the Stone Cold Podcast, last week. If you haven't gone and checked that out, some very interesting stories, uh, the life of Pat Militich, a, a few Hollywood set stories. Uh, note to self: If you want to live, do not piss off Robbie Lawler. Go check out the interview. Um, but yeah, man, this is going to be a good one today. Let's get started, man.
2: Yeah, Jeff, I'm sure you've got a million questions. You you are the research guru <laughs> for shows, so you know. I think main thing is is first off, I'll start. I guess by saying, you know, I met Woody years ago um, through some friends, just kind of by uh, almost luck I guess and and the yeah. minute I met Woody I knew instantly he was the real deal just you look in his eyes and you go yeah this guy's a badass I'm I'm probably not going to piss this guy off and and but I I learned a lot I went shooting with these guys and I trust me especially at the time I hardly knew which end of the gun was the dangerous one uh, you know like I said before we started taping I'm a expert in caveman tactics but to watch these guys shoot these these gentlemen that are former uh, Navy SEALs, Tier 1, I mean, the best in the world. To watch these guys shoot, dude, is uh, you, the minute you see it, you know you do not get in a gunfight with these guys, period.
0: Yeah, I got to agree with you on that one. I mean, it's like I'm not tooting my horn, but just tooting the horn for all the boys out there, those that that are listening. You know, uh, you, know you hear about some of the frogmen, Um, and, and the other special ops guys that goes down, you know, no disrespect to any of those guys, but, you know, with regards to the, you know, to the boys, the boys in blue here, you know, I got to say that, uh, it's, it's real hard to take one of them out. And, you know, some of us just feel like if if it's going to happen, you, you better shoot down a helicopter because that's about the only goddamn way you're going to get somebody that's not going to, you know, shove it up your face and blow the back of your fucking asshole out. So it, it makes it makes me feel really proud to know that, you know, it, it's 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 more than just the training. It's it's that, the quality of the guy. I mean, you got to understand, you know, going to work every day in that environment and showing up in a place where every single motherfucker wants to be there. Really? I mean, and they not only want to be there. But they want to put a gun in front of their face. They want to go to war. Not war as because war is cool, but they want to go fight. They want to go do what they've been doing. Every single guy. And that wow. is such a positive environment. It's like fighters. You got to admit, is it not like that? Those dudes are rabid. They want to be there. And, okay. and that, that's why it's such a positive environment. That's why, you know, as many years as I've done jujitsu and all these other things, it's like everybody is so tight. And it's just like that in the Frogman community, um, and it's only getting better. The guys are they're getting stronger, faster, smarter. They've got better gear. They've got better means to get there, better eyes ahead of the time. You know, they're only they're harder to kill, and they're making themselves harder to kill. And uh, you know, you'd be a fool to, to go one on one with them. And every once in a while, you know, even a blind squirrel can get find a nut, and one of the guys <laughs> might go down. And the shit happens, and it sucks. And and I, and I, uh, you know, even on Facebook. I, uh, I've kind of created this own uh, my own little personal meme that I put out there. I put it out on LinkedIn too as well. Uh, I call it Frogman Down. And anytime one of the boys goes down in a combat situation, you know, I put it out there. You know, Frogman Down. There's a uh, there's a photograph of a guy looking looking forward with a with a rolled up flag on his back. And then I tell a little bit of, a little story about him so that uh, you know that other people know because it's important. It's important to know that you know they're not just out there. Um, you know, because it's a cool guy, fun thing to do. It's a long road. It's hard and it's rough, but it's hard to kill those guys. And you imagine 44 of those motherfuckers coming in on a target all at once. Like, like, yeah. think about that for a second. You think like a friend of yours might be a real good shooter. He's a real hardcore dude. Think of 44 of them coming at you or or 50, you know. And uh, so, like I said, you know, they're real hard to kill you and, and you better be a good shot with an RPG or whatever, Because that's about the only way you're going to take them boys down. So I give them full credit.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, and you guys took me to, I think it was a place called C2, right?
0: Yeah, that was uh, a place uh, uh, a couple guys got together. One of them was Al Clark, very good friend of mine. He's, uh, he passed away a couple years ago. The guy that's the, the the, the guy that was the instructor? He was actually uh, one of the founders of Blackwater. Okay. Back before, you know, when when uh, Eric Prince uh, was still in the Navy and, and the, the story is, you know, Al, he 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 scribbled it out on a on a on a little bar napkin on on his idea. And, you know, Eric being, you know, an entrepreneurial, just like his dad, they, they when it, when his old man passed away and the, and the money transferred over and he had the means to, to make a difference, you know, and people don't give him credit for this. But he, he truly made a difference. Uh, yeah. And he was, and he was saving the government money. By making it close enough to home, where we could go home and not spend all that on per diem, and we got tons of training. Well, Al started all that, and that's the guy that was out there that day. And that dude's a badass shooter, and his partner's still around, Dale McClellan, and he runs a company, uh, you know, here in uh, in Virginia Beach locally. He's out in Chesapeake, I think now. And I'll tell you what, you know, he's he's one of the probably one of the best shooters on the planet, and and those guys were out there when, when you came out there, so that was a real
2: fun day. That was cool because, um, you know, Jeff, when we – and for our listeners, I'm, I'm watching these guys shoot. And you guys were shooting M4s and pistols. I don't know – I don't remember what pistols you guys were, were using that day. But, I mean, the plates were just like ding, 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 falling, right? And I'm just sitting there going, this is, this is insane. And then I think it was Al who said, here's a loaded shotgun. There's eight rounds in it. Go ahead and shoot those eight targets. I'm going to time you. Let's see how you do. And I'm, you know, terrible uh, with a gun. And uh, so I, I'm i knocking down the targets, but slow, right? Bong, bong type, you know, garbage. And then Al looks at me and he goes, all right, you hold the timer. You're going to time me now. And he's got eight shells in one hand and the shotgun in the other. And he goes, I'm going to load each one, each round individually and shoot the plates. And he, sh- he would load, shoot, load, shoot, load, shoot, load, shoot that quick. Bat, 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 and it. I can't remember how many seconds it was. It was like three seconds, four seconds, something like that. I just sat there and went, I didn't even, I didn't even know this shit was possible. <laughs> right. Just, yeah. I mean, that, that he
0: was an amazing shotgun shooter and his son's an amazing shotgun shooter. And he's kind of carrying on the legacy, uh, for Al. It was a real sad day, you know, when he passed. But, uh, and right. I, I had gone to, uh, you know, I'd done a lot with this guy. I was, uh, you know, it was, uh, my first time in combat, uh, 1989. I was 22 years old, um, SEAL Team 4 and the invasion of Panama. And, you know, Al was kind of a, you know, he had been in the SEAL teams uh, a couple years ahead of me, and he was an older guy. He had been in the in the, the fleet for a little time before that, so he's kind of, he wasn't a senior guy, but he, you know, he had been around, and he yeah. was a mature, mature fella. And, you know, he, he kind of took me under his wing, and I and I learned so much from the guy, and, and he was kind to me, and, uh, you know, you know how it is when you're a new guy anywhere, and you just kind of gut it out and take it, but... You know, when you're kind of a green, green behind the ears, and and you're thrown right into a full-on ambush from hell, you know, combat mission down in a in a country that I actually was familiar with because I had done a deployment down there already. It was uh, it was really good to be around people that I I did trust, and I you know I felt pretty confident. But there's you know nothing can nothing can ever uh, prepare you for that kind of experience, you know, right. especially at the young age of that these young guys are going out there now and I, I can I can I can feel for that.
2: Yeah. So that was that was Operation Just Cause in nineteen eighty nine, December, mid right? December, right? December okay. twentieth. Uh, December twentieth, nineteen eighty
0: nine, and H hour was supposed to go down at one o'clock and because there had been a compromise in town with one of the other army units, the it got bumped up. They got into a firefight, so they pushed it up like fifteen minutes. And it doesn't sound like a very long time, right? But when we're supposed to be hitting the beach at, at a specific time, and our whole means is to use stealth to get from point A to point B and then, you know, be standing by to hit you like a tiger, you know, we, it kind of takes the the thunder out of us when we're not able to do that. Right. And that's what happened. Now, you got to remember, in Panama, there's a 22-foot tidal range. And if you don't hit that tide right, you're going to be climbing cliffs. And it was like for a lot of us, it was our first time in combat. And I was a 60 gunner. And you know normally I carry six seven hundred rounds of uh, oh, you know shit. seven six two on me in belt. Uh, and that's that's with tracers linked with tracers. and and in you know the way we do it in, in the seal teams is we we train ourselves to be able to load, fire and carry our own stuff because of the small nature of our you know of our unit. Right. Um, well, that day, you know, you know, because I'm I'm brilliant at 22, I decided, well, this could be a real dick dragger. I better bring a thousand rounds this time. So I'm putting them in, in all kinds of weird fucking places, like in the backpack, hooked to my web gear. This is old school, like Vietnam web gear and shit too. Mm-hmm. So I'm <laughs> sticking them in the bag, and then I'm like, how can I get three more, three hundred more rounds? Um, yeah, why don't I? Uh, I'll get a uh, uh, a gas mask, you know, you know, one of those pouches, and I'll just I'll just feed it or flake it in there, and uh, and then and then one of the one of the the SEAL Team Six guys is like, hey, you guys need any slap rounds? You know, these are big armor piercing rounds that they use in those Vulcan, you know, cannons off the helicopters. And we're like, yeah, man. Of course, a little did he forgot to tell us we were supposed to link them every you know fourth round. or So I just slap a hundred rounds of that shit up on the front of my of the gun. So now I'm walking around like, a, you know, like the tin man, you know, with no oil in my, in my uh, joints. And, uh, you know, now we are coming up to the beach early and we got to climb up these cliffs. It was a, it was a fucking shit show from the start. Um, and everybody will tell you, and and as a matter of fact, I, uh, you know, I wrote a, a full screenplay about it years ago and I've improved it over the years, uh, taking out like the, the, the real names, for you know, just to you know, just for the sake of respect. But right. but the guys that 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 did pass that night, and we had a real bad night that night where we got hit pretty hard. We lost. It was the first time we lost this many guys since like Vietnam. Now Grenada was kind of a shit show too, um, but a lot of things went wrong there. But this was the first full on assault where we had a target. We went in um, since this uh, airfield was connected to the water. They felt that. Um, well, it must be a you know we got to get our play, we got to have our SEAL mission. So, we'll take it from the Rangers. Good idea, bad idea. You know, at the end of the day, the the idea was to sneak up there and just take out this one little target, but it turned into a situation where we really would, could have used a, a whole company of, of of badass fucking Rangers with giant bushes on their head jumping in. They're the guys that relieved us in the end. Um, but yeah, we we took some heavies. You know, we had a, we had eight guys go down hard uh with with horrible injuries you know where you know ak-47 uh fires a 762.39 round that's got a steel core penetrator in the bullet and it was designed to to penetrate vehicles and armor and things like that the soviets designed that so when you got these bullets you know skipping off the tarmac on a on a where there's nowhere to hide out there and going right into because a lot of times what a guy does is when they hold uh, a rifle up to their to their face Now this is back in the days prior to having lights and lasers and dot sights and you know just had an iron sight and it's typically dark color you know blackened and you know, it's nighttime. There's low light or no light, and they hold that weapon up. And they don't train a lot at night shooting these types of weapons. And all of a sudden, they can't fucking see, and they definitely can't see the sights that they're used to. So now, the whole their whole their whole life, the world is out of whack for shooting. So what do you normally do when you hear this? I'm shooting over the front sight. Well, that's exactly what you do. Is e- even in under perfect conditions, when if you're firing your weapon right, you're going to be focusing on your front sight, and your target's normally blurry, and that's right. like you have to train yourself to do that because it's not normal right well now put yourself in a high stress situation there's shit going on everywhere around you explosions you know bullets flying crack 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 all over guys screaming because they're getting hit and you can't see you pull this gun up in front you can't see shit so what's the first thing you do is you drop the weapon down so you can see and what are you doing? You're shooting low. And that's what happened in a lot of the cases. Those guys were taking some heavies in their lower limbs, their, their shins. One of the guys, I won't mention his name, but he's, he's a badass you know, later on when he healed and everything like that, we're back in Virginia Beach and we're hanging out one one of the places. You had this big giant divot in his calf muscle. It was like a it was like this big like scoop. And he used to put like guacamole in it. and We'd all sit around, <laughs> and take chips and stick it in there like we were eating when girls were around, just to kind of gross them out and shit like that. But uh, yeah, it was a real dick drag. We lost four really good guys. One of them was a new guy, you know, and he was a he was a great guy and, and it just really really sucked that night. But yeah, I wrote a screenplay about it. It's I love it. Uh, You know, I showed Steven this screenplay, and, and, you know, we're always talking about uh, Steven Seagull that is, uh, about, you know, coming up with ways to to make movies uh, a lot less expensive because making them in the United States is tough. And I'm like, hey, man, 1989, we don't need Blackhawks. It'd be like making Blackhawk down with Hueys, calling a Huey down really wouldn't have flown very well, no pun intended. But you know, so you had to use Blackhawks and you had to have Rangers. That was a big type of thing. But see, back in '89, man, we just had like the old Vietnam woodland camouflage. A lot of us were wearing OG 107s, just green um, with right. the little slanted pockets, like from Vietnam and 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 web gear. And and we had 46s coming in to pick guys up. Um, yeah, I think I could do the movie pretty cheap if you got. <laughs> hey, Pat, what's I know the that one? you're. You know, what's, you're the in, what's the in name California. of the? Movie? You know, if you want to be a film financier. You know, I'm, I'm 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 feeling for you. So, I know I know
2: you can make I know you could make a good movie out of that. What's what's the what's the name of it?
0: Uh, it's called Fiasco. I, I sent you a copy with yeah with, with, this morning yep. when you asked me for some info. So yep. take I was a look at it, it but, but I uh, wanted you to what it is, is, you know, it's like I feel like some of these missions we can't do every mission, but sometimes good guys that do nothing but train their whole lives to fight for other people and they put themselves through hell and then to get put in a situation that was politically motivated and to be, you know, for instance, like we had originally trained for that mission from, it was a standoff mission. It would have taken a few guys. We would have put with a 50 Cal round right into the engine of that of Noriega's hangar. We would have gone right into that engine of his jet. And that shit ain't going nowhere. Where's it going? nowhere but you know what no they don't want to do that we want to save all the assets and give them back to Panama after the end of it so we're going to take and we're going to put 60 guys down there and you're going to push aircraft out onto this this is a big runway man this Punta Patia airfield and the whole area is called Paitia so so it was a little confusing when we were getting radio calls at one point that Noriega was coming in um you know in a helicopter and we were like whoa you know we didn't know what it was so half that's it's one of the reasons that some of the guys that went forward were kind of exposed because we had to stop and set up for an ambush and then he never showed up so we had to get back on target but uh it was this is a full sized airfield now it's gone now and I have, I have photographs of what it used to look like but you know they got big trump tower down there they got high rises high-end apartment the whole thing's completely gone man but during the day it was just a big-ass uh Runway and just running down the runway with a thousand rounds and looking off into the, you know, and I and I, I remember seeing the firefight start with Gulf Platoon and it looked like there were red tracers on our end. And then the and then the Soviet round, there were green tracers. So it looked like Star Wars. It was like because, <laughs> you know, every fourth round. And it was it was pretty badass, but it never really hit you until I heard the radio calls coming over uh, from one of the from the officer from Golf Platoon saying uh, we got three men dead. And we got, like, I think he said six or seven men down, and that just hit you like a ton of bricks. Remember, I'm a young guy. You know, I, right, this right. shit was like, oh, God. And that's uh, so, so it was important that I, like, uh, and I really couldn't remember it. You know, I had a really hard time remembering anything that happened for many, many years. I had to, like, reach out on Facebook when I finally got a Facebook page, uh, you know, just not, not that long ago, a couple of years ago, and reached out to a whole bunch of guys and kind of, like, put the story together. And then, uh, you know, got it straight. Learn some of the conspiracies. Now, now I, that's the part you might like is there's a lot of conspiracy about what was going on, like who was there? What was that? And some guys will, will sit there until they're blue in the face and say, no, it didn't happen. But there's a there's an underlying conspiracy that. That, they, that a lot of the guys that were personal bodyguards in Noriega and his and part of his personal guard were Cuban mercenaries. And there were a couple guys, and I won't say their names either, that were living in Panama at the time, and they had been traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast because on the weekends, you know, you could do that. It's an isthmus, so it's really kind of right, right. skinny. You could travel through the jungle. And these guys, well, they would get pulled over in the middle of the jungle. Okay, and then there ain't jack shit out there. And they get pulled over in the middle of the jungle. And these guys are like, they don't speak any broken English, Spanish, Spanglish, nothing like that. They're, they only spoke Spanish and was really good Spanish. Right. Okay, right. These guys were dressed in a haphazard way, but they knew what they were doing, just the way they carried their weapons. You could tell these dudes were trained and they were different than everybody else. It was real scary for some of these guys when they came back and gave these reports. But that, a lot of that went unreported. So it's really hard to say who was there because they cleaned out their dead. And back back then, you know, we didn't uh, have the opportunity to walk through the target at the moment until because we had so many guys down. We had to pull them back. It was a real shit show. So, So there was no
2: DNA testing of the guys on the other side that were down and all that stuff like they do now and all that. No, and, and if they were doing any type of testing f- from any type of uh,
0: you know physical matter that may have been left behind in blood, I-, I wouldn't be able to comment on that because I just don't know. I mean, like I said, I was a I was a sixty gunner, twenty two years old, you know, e three yeah. e four uh, at the time, and uh, yeah, it was um, it wasn't kind of like in my in my my lane. So I I really haven't been able to get any clear indicate. You know, there's no records on the shit.
2: All right, and that's what I was going to ask you about. You, you tell me what you think. I mean, there's so many angles to this with Noriega because, you know, they know that he was a a CIA asset. He got he was getting I think 100k at one time, and then he he got up to I think over 200,000. He was getting probably much much more than that, but that's what was recorded. Um, and helping the the DEA against uh, drug dealers and all the stuff coming through the Panama Panama Canal, and then saying that he was accepting big big money from. Uh, from the cartels, also at the same time, and then he was obviously, uh, you know, helped uh, help mess with the Sandinistas for us, and then I think he kind of what what anyway was that he turned started accepting military uh, military assistance, equipment, things like that from Cuba and and communist countries, and that's why Reagan decided to take him out. But that was also he was part of that Iran Contra scandal, right? With all the drug running and all that sort of stuff, potentially. So was it, you know, was it because he turned and and took assistance from communists, or was it Reagan's administration trying to silence him about about that portion of of the Iran Contra stuff? You know, it's it's hard to say, but that's where it gets kind of kind of crazy.
0: Well, let me ask you if if you were if you were in charge for a day in the Reagan administration, what would you have done? Being a patriot that you are. Right. What do you think you would have done?
2: Well, if if
0: now, now you got to right. remember, what was the underlying tone that that Reagan of Reagan's policy to obliterate communism? Correct. Right. Absolutely. At the end of the yeah. day, that, that, that was you know, top of the list. Number one, you know, it yeah. was, it, he even used bold ink on that. The rest of them were kind of pencil. But yeah. uh, but in, so so with that in mind and, and and asking yourself, you know, I'm an intelligent man. I'm a patriot. Uh, I'm going to do the right thing before I say this, that, or the other thing. i will put myself in his position and just ask myself, what would I do? Right. And then, yeah. you know, then as an educated person, uh, I can go back and, and make educated guesses or, 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 you know, conduct the research necessary. Yeah. So was that really happening? Was Reagan really behind this thing? I, if, if, if I was a bet man, I'd say, yeah. But be, because you got to remember what his what the whole purpose of of life was for his, you know, what, what was the, the number, add, you number know, one agenda? You, right. Yeah. So so for 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 the for the Cuban backed um, rebels to uh, be successful would would not be tolerated. No, no. And for us to do anything that we could to disrupt that. Would be obviously the first thing because we fight pseudo wars, especially back then, yeah. and and in order to pay for it, um, you know, they, it's called creative financing. We all do it every single day in our checkbook, but um, you know, when you're dealing in, in millions and billions, um, and and potentially trying to hide it all at the same time, let's face it, if if there wasn't if it wasn't an, if approved for, for the co- by Congress as, as covert funding early on, let's say they need, I'm sure nowadays things are, might have been a little bit different. And, and since we weren't there, we don't know, but maybe it was just the, the manner in which, uh, you know, Ali North and, 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 and the crew were able to put together, you know, a plan that was going to work because the, the agenda was what? obliterate communism, no matter what, because that was the number one thing that had to be done. So, you know, you got to ask yourself: are, are we breaking the law? I mean, it's like sort of like what law is there? There's no, there was no law in Panama while Noriega was in charge. It was his law. I remember because I deployed to Panama um, during during and uh, before, you know, during when he was in power and then after. So there was, and there was a huge difference. Um, and I'll tell you the uh it, it was a little it was a little unnerving at times. You know, we weren't really allowed to to leave the base and, and go frequent any of the, like the little bars in town, but you know, as as young, you know, frogmen do, you know, we tend to use our our well honed, you know, stealth skills to and that's what it was. Let me clarify. This was in no way an attempt to uh, be insubordinate with our you know senior officers and and enlisted men but we were we were in training and this was just strictly training so our ability to slip out and into the populace and blend in and and of course we'd get hungry so we 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 didn't bring mres because that would peg us as uh as got you know i'm kidding right and then so and then (laughs) we would slip back in and it was just really good training but there was this one place i think the i think the name of the bar was called my place and believe it or not and um you always, we would always go to the back of the place because there was this uh, a rumor that you you could get grenaded if if you if you hung up front. Never even knew if it was possible, um, but damn sure if it didn't happen. And, and and the night that it happened, there were other like there were, there were some Marines or somebody had snuck out and they were in the in that place and they were having a good time. And someone tossed a grenade in there, and it, you know I don't know if anybody died. Nobody died, but they did get hurt. And because it it all depends on what kind of grenade it is and how where it goes and how it explodes, you know. I mean, they're 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 powerful weapons, but you know they can be. uh, It might have gone into a corner behind. I don't know what that what the deal was, but a couple guys got hurt. It wasn't too serious, and they had to get them carted out of there. Went back to the base, and there was this big you know big investigation, big shutdown. We had slipped out the back that night and got back, so it was pretty crazy. Those were that was with the Noriega days, and then afterwards, you know, none of that shit happened. So. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, Noriega was probably like an effective asset at one point because he was able to get the job done. But then as he started to rise and and, and create his own power structure and and he kind of lost it, man. He was like a, I mean, God knows he was doing his own dope. Um, But he provided like a very important service for the cartels was he allowed them to come and go as they please and pass. And he was able to launder money for them. You know, all day long, and and you know it, that that's really the heart of you know the, uh, the that transaction is really the the bulk cash smuggling and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and and this is prior to using signal intelligence to, um, you know, what we what we refer to as like counter threat finance now, where you know you've got you know federal agencies and international agencies and law enforcement and Interpol and um, and, and different uh, entities in the law enforcement world, international and national, that that they, their, their capabilities were not at, at, at hyper levels at that time. And to be able to integrate, say, a military asset like signal intelligence with that, you know, like you figure, like, what if you've got like 15 or 16 different um, law enforcement agencies from, you know, uh, South Carolina down 95 all the way over to El Paso, Texas, and they're all doing great stuff. And but they're limited in their ability to you know create that spider web of of assets and CIs. And then all of a sudden, you imagine like integrating the the signal intelligence capability of say the National Guard, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, it opens up, and, and all those little spider webs start connecting, and and then you can really and, and that's how you track the money, and that's something that we. We've been able to integrate now in recent times. Why we didn't think of it then? Maybe maybe things were a little bit different. Maybe there were policies. Maybe there were people in charge that just didn't like that idea. It's hard to say, but you know, I think that there's a lot more cohesive union among uh, you know units and elements. Of course, there's still sandboxes, but back then it, those things were. Imagine the hurdles that that the administration Reagan was trying to create had to go through when like all the different agencies, they, they really didn't function well together and right. and not really by them fault. I mean, it's what it, it is, I mean, we all, you know, we've been around long enough to, to, to be able to understand how that works. So was that conspiracy? Not really. It was just kind of a lack of, uh, you know, collaboration and, and maybe philosophy, you know, the so getting, guys don't think like the DEA guys.
2: And getting so. back to, and getting back to like, uh, with Reagan, I, I agree with you hundred percent on, you know, I think his his actions and and what his administration did with with as you said, Ali North and all, all the bull um, to fund this fight against the Soviets in South America. I mean, I know a couple of guys that that uh, are old timers that were running guerrilla units against each other in South America um, just to, just to stir the shit up, right? To to cause chaos and and cause problems with the with the communists and then you know arming arming the boys in Afghanistan to cause the Russians you know a lot of problems and it eventually bankrupted them right it, it eventually bankrupted them and, and yeah, there's, no them. there's no right. doubt about
0: there's no doubt about that's a uh, that's a really really it's man i'll tell you you know mixing um, you know what what go what went on in Afghanistan and that part of the world with what goes down in central and south america kind of like apples and goldfish you know, it's 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 like a whole fundamental difference in just the way people think. And uh, yeah, uh, it's very interesting. You know, like think about the Colombians and the assistance that we provided to Columbia for so many years. They're not as uh, rudimentary as you think they are. You know, they're they're pretty damn scored away at, at doing what they do. Right. Um Flashback to the 80s with Muj, Muj in, in Afghanistan and the Russians trying to make that big push using Afghanistan as their, you know, their their highway. You know, they're taking giant bulldozers and just bulldozing through, you know, straight straight path to wherever they wanted to go. They're dropping cluster bombs on every single knoll. Possible. So, if anybody tried to like climb up on a higher elevation and shoot down on them and and create like an ambush scenario and and have even a, a fighting chance, they nine out of ten times they they blow their half their body off. Um, but now all that stuff's still up there. Um, you know, roads, everything was mined, bombed, and then you'd have these big highways, these bulldozers, and these massive this air power just driving through, destroying everything. I mean, there's no doubt that there it would be a Russian Afghanistan right now had. Had the the Stinger missile not been introduced um, to to the fighting force at the time, and you know it was a very very small contingent of, of very very brave you know uh, intelligence officers who worked in the paramilitary you know paramilitary capacity, um, which we, which we still have today. Uh, this is you know, and this was still kind of like the, the 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 guys that that it really kind of started in the Vietnam. Uh, time frame and the, the special forces guys were well integrated with them and you know you, you see movies all the time and, and and some of the depictions are really good but then you know nowadays it's it's more of a real no shit fighting force uh made up of high high-end heavy hitters that you know every individual guy is already very highly trained. So would things have gone a lot quicker and been a lot different, if that scenario occurred today, probably. Um, But at the time it just took a while really from a political standpoint and to really get those guys to to fight. You got to remember they're like, and, and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. And that goes for, you know, any Afghan out there that might be a listener. But to be honest with you, you know, when I was preparing for Afghanistan, I didn't have a whole lot to go on, you know. I read all the books with regards to how the Russians did it. Read all the books on how we did it, and there weren't there wasn't a whole lot of data. And I, what I I got the most value. This is early on. This is right after 9/11. Okay, oh. this is you know like end in 2002 <laughs> into 2003. I got the most value, believe it or not, out of reading about how did our cavalry handle the Apache and the, the Southwest Indian uprisings back in the day when it was tough to do. Have you ever driven around uh, Arizona? You ever just yeah. driven around Arizona and seen how vast that land is and how right. every crevice and and it's like a, a giant, you know, uh, McMuffin, you know, it's like you can hide in a billion different places. Right. And, you know, if, if we're talking like, you know, people being able to know the lay of the land and taking pot shots at a cow. Cal- now these, you got to remember Calvary guys back in that, Time frame. This is like 1860s. Okay, you know, these are hardened guys. These these are guys that have fought in war before. These weren't just your average run of the mill jackass, you know, grunt. These right. guys these guys knew how to fight. They were a well oiled machine. And you're sending the best of the best in there, but it took serious tactics. Well, I got a lot of value out of reading all the uh, the Apache agent books. And anything I could get my hands on with regards to that because it really helped. And this is like I, I was fortunate to uh, to be a part of a, a group of guys. Uh, it was kind of like a rat patrol, you know. Uh, they gave me a Terp. They gave me 50, 50 guys, 50 uh, – I'll call them Afghan rangers to, for bat, lack of a better term. I mean they were the best trained guys that I could get, and, and I trained them myself for the most part. Of course, they were handed over to me from another great guy, and I just really kind of just drove around looking for the bad guys. Kind of sounds stupid, but you know, like what else are you going to do? Um, Intel was tough to get out in a place like like you know, imagine Cherikawa Mountains. You know, you're going in there looking for Cochise. You know, it's not right. an easy task. Um, so were
2: you up in the were you up in the Hindu Kush area quite a bit then? I was I was fortunate
0: <laughs> to, to to get a, an opportunity to pretty much go all okay. over the place there okay. um it maybe it was just because there was few of us at the time and they needed to you know kind of throw us at every every problem that there was um you know it, it wore you out uh we were there for long periods of time as we started to grow our forces things uh uh improved significantly and we were able to have like you know this group of guys will stay here this group of guys will stay there and kind of handle it it's always better to know your your land your your area better but i mean there was times you know i'd be in Kabul and okay hey we're going down to host to uh you know uh we there's a, there's an issue there's a problem down there so let's go next thing you know i'm on the pakistan border you know and i'm i'm
2: going through ubl's old caves that have been bombed by those uh, do you accident. realize no, do you, you realize the shit you're talking about right now is like you've got to be a serious badass to just go riding around Afghanistan kicking people's ass, right? You, you know, or you're you're just a complete moron who doesn't know the. highly cool trained fucking
0: and, badass. And I'm going to give my uh, uh, my Marine and my uh, SF buddies credit where credit is due because, quite frankly, you know, as a as a SEAL in the from the mid '80s all the way. Um, into the, the, the late nineties, uh, and, and 2000 is, uh, I wasn't trained as an infantry soldier. I was a, uh, navigator. What, what in the, in the Navy, we call a quartermaster. Uh, in the Army, that's a, uh, like a supply guy, but in the Navy, it's like a navigator of a ship. And I was in the fleet for a year and that, that was my training. Okay, and I came from uh, you know being uh, the son of a uh, of a Navy pilot, uh, a, a Naval Academy grad, 1963. In fact, my dad just died in uh, March. Yeah,
2: I was going to ask uh, you about know, that. You, you passed, passed away in 5th. March. And greatest, and, man, uh,
0: greatest man, and, uh, alive. Quite a quite a man, man, huh? Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, and 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 so you know I uh, you know grew up in San Diego and, and Virginia Beach, and it was funny because you know that's where the SEAL teams are, and and you know I hear I'm I'm from there, and there was another guy. Uh, one of my closest friends, uh, his nickname's Hamster. I'll throw his name out there because he's one of the baddest men alive. And, he, uh, you know, we grew up there. And But what did we know? We were just we barely made it through high school. You know, I'm surprised the Navy even took us. Um, but, you know, for us to, uh, to be able to get into a situation like that, we had a lot of training. We didn't have these one little skill that you really need to know. When you're setting up these types of base camps in these vast, massive, mountainous areas, I'm not talking Iraq. I'm not talking about it. no, no offense, but you know, cruising around in suburbans at light speed at sea level with uh, little birds flying overhead and using their their very, very well developed cell phone uh, system and, and you know that they have in, in Iraq to be able to to track and locate. No, nah, we didn't have any of that. You know, if you were lucky, you might have a thoraya. you know, one, like what camel jockeys would carry, you know, and, and if that battery even worked because they dry out pretty quick. But we're out there. And if I, I my one of my first trips, I was with a uh, an old Marine gunny sergeant. And this guy, I tell you what, this guy knew more about setting up things, oh, you're doing this, that all just straight up infantry stuff. And and the guy kept us alive. I remember one night we went into a. this is when we were down near the border and we were down near those caves. And of course, you're being watched the whole time, and we would we would kind of convoy into a little area sometimes we'd have too many vehicles, so we'd have to dump some off at one of the bases, but we'd get too many vehicles and, and with the lights on because we didn't have the i r lights at the time for the other guys and nods and all that is we kind of look like uh you ever seen that movie the thirteenth warrior it's the wow. the, um, the five uh um, that's what's what, what it kind of looked like coming down the mountain, you know, so we tried to avoid the fireworm. And, uh, we, we would come into a place and we would set up camp during the day. And at nighttime, you know, of course we'd set, we'd set some fires and things like that. And we'd slip out the back Jack and, you know, damn near every single time that freaking camp would get hit every night. Now, I mean, it's kind of like, that's a duh moment. Right. But, you know, you know, those are things that I could just common sense and intuition will help me get through, but it's the other stuff I didn't have. And the SF guys that I, I did some, uh, some great work out in Yemen with with some of the special forces guys. These guys just knew exactly how to set up and train an army. I, I just it was just very impressive stuff. And these are just like one two guys, you know. That's what the, that's how they work. So and it was great. And, and of course, you know, I was able to pass on mine. Now, they, when we got into the real nitty gritty of the of the training. You know, all the shooting, all the all the real you know high end stuff, and make make the people we were working with just ten times more effective, which protected me as well. Uh, and they've got a real good fighting force. You know, that's where my uh, my expertise came into play as well. Um, so, you know, I give credit where credit is due. But
2: times have changed, man. Times have definitely changed. And, you know, with the, with obviously with Afghanistan and saying of Afghanistan's history is where empires go to die. And <laughs> we're, we've been there forever. Right. Russia fell apart because of it. They, they spent so much money um, there, but mostly there, but elsewhere around the world. Um, dealing with Reagan and and his his tactics, but really Afghanistan has crushed a lot of empires. A lot of people have tried invading there, and, and things have not worked out. We've been there for we've been there forever. Been I there mean, a long
0: time. 2017, it's, 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 we went there right after September 11th. So yeah,
2: so these are these are tough tough people, um, and the terrain, as you mentioned, virtually impossible to conquer. You know, are we just doing just enough to to be in there? doing what we need to do. I mean, I mean, are we going to end up sending massive amounts of troops back there? Do you think Trump ends up doing that? I mean, it's uh, at what point do you say, you know, this is, this is not going to work.
0: You know, we didn't have ISIS to deal with back then. Right. So, you know, our biggest concern was crush the Taliban, basically the mob of Afghanistan. Yeah. Highly entrepreneurial, Ruthless. Um, It it didn't take long to drive them into the into the trees. So Al Qaeda, on the other hand, you know they were just as much in in the dark. Uh, They were fish out of water in Afghanistan as well, you know. But they, you know, they're from uh, those types of third world uh, shitholes, so they they maybe felt a little bit more at home. Then, but but you got to remember, they were foreigners
2: for the most part,
0: and I mean, there was everybody unless we're talking about some of the, the highly trained guys like Chechens. Right?
2: Pardon, I, I didn't catch that one. Pat. I mean, yeah, there were Chechens, guys from the stands, all all that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and so so you're you know they were foreigners there too. Um, so I, in my in my humble opinion, I believe that that actually gave us an advantage because they they weren't on an equal playing field with us, but we were both on that field. So you know, here here it goes. You know, once they weren't harbored and hidden by the Taliban, um, and and they basically were were given you know the ability to do that. I mean, let's face it. You know, were they in Iran? And if they weren't, why? And if Iran hates the way ISIS does business, and they're against that, you know, these Shiites versus this Sunni problem. Why now the difference, and and why was there a protection? You know, who's to say there wasn't a an agreement, you know, between them at the time, which no longer exists. UBL's gone. Uh, Al Qaeda's fairly decimated in a lot of ways. Of course, they they survive in you know places in Sudan and things of that nature, where you know we're limited at, our, at what we're doing there. Um, you know, you could say that about so many things, like you know, Africa, Coney, the, the hunt for Coney. Could we find him? What do you think? Yeah. You know, is 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 that what what we need to do right now? Is that where the focus needs to be? I mean, quite frankly, if you were in charge for a day and you had limited resources, you're going to have to think about let's let's pull back and think about what's important to Americans. Right. And you know, we we we, we, we don't want to say that that do like ridding the world of evil is a bad thing but at the same time we just can't do it all and it doesn't help us politically um but you know why 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 the isis threat against iran just recently you know you don't think that's gonna that ruffled some feathers you don't think that that the there's going to be some some issues that come out of that some good study you know the the yeah, range is probably gonna have 10, 10 people assigned to a new you know i mean so you know, I'm interested about that kind of stuff, um, yeah. but it's it's difficult to predict it. You know, Afghanistan is just a hole that it's real tough to do anything there. You know, it rains for months and then it turns into a giant mud pit. And unless you're flying over the shit, you know, and you can't fly anything because it's so high up. You can't fly like, you know, the types of birds we're used to, transport too black bad, black right? And, and little birds they that, you know, it, it depends on what time of the year. Winter is a little bit easier, um, but they got to they got to be big birds. You know, Mi Seventeens. They got a lot of lift, carry a lot of people, and but they got to carry a lot of fuel if they're going to go very far. A lot okay. of fuel means a big giant fuel blivet. Big giant fuel blivet means they got hit. You're a big giant fireball. Right. Uh, but so, you know, there's, so so there's all these things pose like uh, interesting problems. Um, not everything's solved. I mean, certainly we've got you know the place fairly wired at this point, but. Do we dump more resources there? I don't know. You know, I mean, we we have to deal with ISIS now, and that's that's a real no shit threat.
2: Right. And fast so. forwarding to ISIS now, you know we you know we talk about the and I've got a couple friends that have some technology that they've been you know helping the U.S. government border stuff, surveillance stuff, all kinds of things. And and you talked about the web and and how things are connected. Now we can track things, we can track funding, we can track you know all this sort of stuff. What what I find peculiar with ISIS is you know, there's um, four, over four years ago, John McCain goes to Syria and meets with the Air Fingers quote, uh, the way Wilkow says it, um, the Free Syrian Army. And in that in that meeting, and, and there's pictures of it, of the broadcast on ISIS, of the, of, of the video of McCain sitting there with guys who are bad, bad dudes. Um, and they're, at the time, Free Syrian Army. Well, um, one of these guys turns out, and I've talked to several guys, and, and maybe you've seen the pictures, maybe you haven't. This guy looks a lot like Baghdadi, um, who's sitting in that who's sitting in that meeting. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, okay, one, he looks an awful lot like Baghdadi with short hair. Two, and I know we had him in our custody. I think it was in Iraq. He gets released. Now all of a sudden he turns back up, leader of leader of ISIS. Um, why, with all our technology, to be able to track funding and all this sort of stuff? Why can't we – we never hear the media talk about where's, where's the oil money? Who's doing the banking for ISIS's oil money? Because we know they were collecting millions and millions of dollars a day for their oil. Um, a 40,000-man army doesn't just appear out of nowhere, that sort of stuff that, that bothers me because I don't want to see Americans die. Um, as much as I love training and training with um, law enforcement, military, um, as much as I support all those guys – I don't want to see him die for political purposes, whether it's, look, if the American petrodollar dies, which I think that's part of the Syrian deal, um, yeah, suddenly we're paying $10 a gallon for gas, and the economy goes to shit, and our quality of life goes with it. I get all that, but at the same time, we're losing lives over stuff that that I think, where Reagan was just in what he did in bringing down communism, this deal in Syria I, I'm a little sketchy on, to be honest with you.
0: I think Syria is just uh, basically nut rolled out of control, and you know, like anything else, um, you know, you let something go, you, you know, you let a you know an engine or a transmission problem go too long, um, you may be able to get it to crank up and, and drive to the beach, but you don't know if you're going to be able to get back. You uh-huh. know, there's a lot of shit going on, and, and you don't have the money to fix it. Um you don't really want to take the time it's 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 just really out of control and to reel it all back in and figure out how to fix it once it's already broke it's it's uh it's it's a big task, you know, and I think that nobody could have predicted that. I think obviously there was a lot of people that did um, but nobody could have predicted exactly what was gonna happen I think. They don't give a shit about anybody. I think that one of the problems is if if it was just left up to us, I think we could probably get a get a get a wrangle hold on it and 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 get things under control one way or the other. You know, um, Americans have a real good knack of, of figuring shit out pretty quickly and you know decisively taking action. And usually in a, in a very precise manner. But when that doesn't work, we're really, really good at smashing fucking square pegs through round holes. I mean, we're really good at it. And, and th- those pegs just go a falling. So if, if, you know, if, if first you don't succeed, then smash their fucking heads in. But, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, it, how, how's that going to play out? Where's the real riff? You know, where's the real massive uh, overwhelming problem of radicalization right now. You know, we can't change that where that's happening. We're seeing it on the news every day. We just saw it in London. You know, and yeah, had it you know, like you, like, you, like the, you, the, you, the London Bridge attack. Uh, you know, to have one to have one guy, one hooligan stand up and, and kick some ass while three assholes come in there and try and stab everybody just goes to show you that you know patriotism is not dead yet in in, right. in some parts of uh, other countries but it, that that problem is is rampant now what do you do how do you reel that in
2: right is it you know that's the thing, is how do you know this I remember I've been flying long enough with you that um, security wasn't all that strict and um, with the obvious terrorist attacks that have happened with um, the growth in the and I my neighbor who's Muslim he's a, a doctor orthopedic surgeon. He and I talk real frankly about stuff you know and he talks about you know certain Muslim sects that are that are attacked by, by the Sunnis um, Sunnis are attacking pretty much everybody. I mean, is it the Sunnis that are the major problem um, because there's there's peaceful Muslims out there obviously um, that are being attacked by, by these extremists also. but how do you how do you thin the herd? And know who to let in. This clash of civilizations is obviously not, not working. Well,
0: you know, you you pose a tough question, Pat. I I think if, if we're if we're talking strictly an immigration policy that is equal, why can't everybody go through the exact same process, right? The exact same way, yeah. Because if if our vetting uh, pro- you know nothing's perfect, but it's, it's at least in place and it works and it doesn't just work. If you're like a good guy, it works because it's going to pick out anomalies and, and maybe we'll get a little bit better at that. But if there's instances where there are people that are able to skirt that process, how does that
2: make any sense at all? So that's well, one, it's like, that, it's, that's like Britain one it's like Britain and America. Um, we know hundreds of people have gone and actually fought for ISIS and their passports aren't taken and they're not deported. They're they're allowed back into the country. Is that probably, you know, stating the obvious probably allowed back in. So surveillance can be kept on them and we can track, you know, who they're working with and all that sort of stuff. But obviously these loose cannons have broken loose before and killed people just like what happened in London where they knew some of these people had already gone over, fought for ISIS, things like that, who were, they were born in London, but they were radicalized and and uh, things like that. So it's, you know, at some point you got to go. Oh, you know what? If you go fight for ISIS, you're not coming back. Period. Look, if we
0: had if we had a church here in the United States that was creating some sort of uh, and I'm not talking onesies and twosies, okay? I'm talking on a on a massive scale like there is over in Europe. It was 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 creating this type of radicalization, what, regardless of the religion. Just say it's anything. Let's say it's just we'll make up a religion. We'll call it the the religion of the of the crow. We'll and, say
2: something and, bad about Jesus and I'll cut your head off.
0: No, no, no. I love you. Right? Jesus.
2: You know that type of thing.
0: And uh, but 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 the thing is, is if uh, if 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 that were to occur here, we would shut that shit down. Because first of all, no American wants that. Not even the assholes not even the, the, the uber liberal they don't want that stuff you, you you saw what happened after 9/11 everybody was coming out of the woodwork they were freaking singing Kumbaya they were doing they were giving everybody the the, 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 the big group hug and, and the Barney song was coming out every five seconds you know that that's what happens and that's what would happen. so they don't want it any more than 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 we do. The problem is is we shut that shit down. We're planning ahead. We don't allow that type of thing to occur in in the manner that it is over there. And and it's a fundamental, you know, philosophy. It's just it's open border policy in a lot of ways over there. And if you have an open border policy among all the countries in a big giant fucking area like Europe, does that mean what defines a country in the first place? A border? there's no sovereignty so, and maybe I'm I'm just you know I'm 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 speaking like a third grader here but if there's no borders there's no country exactly it's it's it, where does the nationalism that the, the feeling of patriotism where does that go yeah see that that it's a fundamental issue man so it, how do you fix that I'll be honest with you man I, I don't know if there's anything we can do but what what we can do is consistently stop it here and thank god we're surrounded uh, on two sides by water, and we've got Mexico and Canada on on the top and the bottom. And the best that we can do is is what we're trying to do, um, without getting into any. I won't talk about Mexican politics. I won't do it. So <laughs> not <laughs> not today.
1: That's uh-huh, too you, no
0: you get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, and, 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 and I'm, I'll be the first guy. You know, like I said, I wrote a movie. I, I've got several that, that, that I've been working on in different other projects. But the bottom line is, is even in the movie fiasco, it was a it was a political fuck up and guys died. And nobody wants to look bad when that happens. And, you know, I, I just think it's an injustice. That's why I wrote about it. And that's my own country. Imagine writing about, you know, imagine the, the, the crazy shit that goes on in some of these other places. You know, and and I'm, I'm as fundamental about my religion as 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 uh, any hardcore Muslim would be about their religion. But I'm not out whacking people. Exactly. Because as a human being, uh, you know, I want to be a part of our uh, 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 the human race, and it's not necessarily what I believe. It's it's just there's the a right and there's a wrong, and and you got to make a you got to make a choice. There's no in between.
2: And I don't, I don't know, but if there's it's a thinking about, you know, to go back to a little bit on politics with the with the rules of engagement stuff that you guys had to deal with and it got worse and worse and worse your time in and it's out of control still. Maybe it's a little better now with uh, with the new president and Madison and things like that, where um, maybe they're they're shutting down some of the some of the folks on the other side. On these rules of engagement, but what's some of the stuff? Well, what's that you great guys have too to is like with? I
0: worked for I work for uh, General Mattis when I was uh, at uh, Joint Forces Command, and I actually was one of the counter threat finance officers there, and so that's why you know I have a an interest in that area, and then we work closely with uh, counter narco terrorism uh, elements in the United States and the National Guard, and fusing those things together. But Mattis, he's he is he's truly the Uh, the essence of calm in the storm literally he's a hurricane he's the human hurricane and it's like you know he's all marine and he instills a good uh, a good dose of uh, confidence in in all things that you do he required most of the senior guys to he had a had a book list you had to read all the books on his book list Um, and you know very philosophical very uh, intelligent man and, and and but but he's 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 hardcore as shit. And I love it. I mean, I, I truly do love it. And then everybody else that, that that they've surrounded themselves with. So it's kind of an exciting time, you know, you know, to, to see, you know, the way that's going, you know, he's 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 also he's also in a position where, you know, we can't just go out there um <clears throat> And and raise the black flag and start slitting throats. I mean, right. it, it's not going to happen. As much as we feel that way sometimes, um, so that's that's kind of the flip side of it, you know. I guess if uh, if another, uh, God forbid, anything like 9-11 ever happened in, or in some capacity, you know, I'm pretty damn sure we would have. I mean, I remember the uh, the orders that 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 George Bush, President Bush, put out were to uh, capture and kill. Al Qaeda. Okay, what else, sir? That was it. So interpret that any way you want. So it it was pretty damn, pretty damn uh, cut and dry. And and what does that remind you of? Reminds you a little bit of the Reagan policy, in my opinion. It was like we will obliterate uh, communism at all costs. Not at all costs, meaning to the cost of every American, because that that's counterintuitive and and. goes against the you know the, the the thinking of of everything he was he stood for uh, I mean how many times have you watched a speech uh, where you know Memorial Day is a classic example you know you, you watch on YouTube and you watch these things. It, it, it's hard for him to keep a dry eye in his yeah. own speeches I mean I'll tell you right now that I, I I truly can I truly can connect with people like that you know right. and, I, and, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing you know that's true American
2: and, you know, the thing about that, the thing that's cool about that, because I'm old enough to remember Reagan, and I remember the fact that he was a liberal at one time, and he converted, and he made a true a true conversion over to being a true conservative um, for the most part and and really hardcore patriot, which was awesome. And do you believe Trump's done the same thing? Because Trump at one time was basically a Democrat. And from, from what I can tell for the most part, Besides the the him and haan on the uh, the, o- the Obamacare stuff and wanting to give everybody free stuff again, um, and and we're not we don't need to get into the does is healthcare right and all that.
0: Oh, we're not or, talking about healthcare tonight. No, no but but, <laughs> but <when laughs> well, I, unless I can get like a couple bowls of cocoa puffs, you know, just <laughs> sugar. Right? But do you think do
2: you think Trump's made that same switch?
0: <sighs> okay, here we go again. You know, we got apples and goldfish you know, but at least there's both foods. Um, I, you know, I think, I think Reagan was, um, you know, coming from his background as a, as a, a celebrated actor, uh, a man with just loads and loads of genuine, uh, American confidence. Um, you know, nine out of nine times he played the part of a, uh, the hero uh, cow, cowboy or or uh cavalry man that, that that saves the day in the end and rescues the damsel in distress and uh, you know just just the most wholesome of wholesomes. but you know as we know, you tend to lean a little bit left uh, you know in that in that industry. Uh, and I see it all the time and I know tons and tons and tons of really great. Uh, actors and producers and directors and, and people in that field that they're very much uh, conservative in, in, in every right, and they just don't speak out because you're not going to get very far if you do. Um, because the people that really kind of control things like that, it's just better to, you know, uh, and, and, and but, but it's okay to be that way in America. All right, that's that's the thing. But when we look at uh, President Trump, he comes from a different background, you know, he's not an actor. Um, uh, and, and not, you know, taking into consideration the TV shows that he's been in, which are, you know, they're, they're all really entertaining. If you, I like reality TV, quite frankly. But uh, he's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, he's very much like that. But he's very, very different. And I think you know what I'm saying here. That, he's, he, he's not, he, he, not, look,
2: you don't, like you don't
0: get as far as uh, in business at, at the level of business that he's doing and, and make the kinds of deals that you do. If you're Donald Trump without, you know, breaking some eggs along the way and having to cut deals with like true assholes. I mean, we're not talking, you know, the, the real estate and, and construction and building uh, deals that he's he's doing in America with. You know the assholes that he has to deal with. It's not like in Japan where nobody does anything in that realm without dealing with the Yakuza, right? right yeah. You get my point. So I mean, you want an example of some real fucked up shit? You know, there you go. But 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 one thing Trump is doing that Reagan did. Here's this likeness: is they said they're going to do something, and and they're really no shit doing it. Now back when when Reagan was in play, that was not uncommon. For a guy to do what he says he's going to do, especially the hero of the movie. When he says, I'm going to rescue you no matter what, goddamn, he's going to do it. So for years and years and years, that's the narrative that everybody's been hearing. So now he's president. Is it any different? Truly. Now, it's a little bit different for Donald Trump because we see him as like, you're fired. You know, it's sort of like. Or, you know, you hear about business deals or you talk to your New York City cop friends that that might know, you know, more, a little bit more about what's going on. And there's some sheisty shit going on. But, you know what, I, I, I'm not I, – I wouldn't be able to speak to that type of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the real estate, the big time, you know, uh, building real estate world of New York City. Um, so I'm going to stay out of that one. But, you know, I will say that the guy said he's going to do X, Y, and Z, and by God, he's doing it. And right. nobody's yeah. used to it. And I think a lot of the problem is they they didn't think that he'd get elected, but which is kind of stupid. But but when he did get elected, <laughs> they don't believe
2: that a guy hey, like that Woody, ever come he, through Woody, with what he on. wants to do. Hold on, that? on one sec. My co-host argued with me and didn't think he was going to get elected. Remember that, Jeff? Hey, hey, I
1: do, I do, I do. Hey,
0: keep that keep that thought. I I got to plug this this computer and it's, it's sitting right here.
1: Yeah, right. no, that was, that's not an unfounded uh, skepticism. I mean, I, you know, the, you don't get much more establishment than Hillary Clinton. And I just, by hook or crook, I just swore she was going to do it, man. I just, you know, history. proves hey, that's presenter. okay. It,
0: it, and, and really, that, that's not even like the sensational part of it. The sensational part to answer your, your question, Pat, is, you know, when you look at what Trump has done in the past and his background, it, it wouldn't be an uncommon thing to not believe that he's going to follow through on what he's doing yeah. because of the environment that he comes from and the types of work that he did. But not Donald Trump. Is it just too easy to believe him? Do you see my point? So comparing him is just not fair, yeah. even though they're both getting the same job done that, that they wanted to do. You yeah. know, um, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's a lot of good, good conservative actors, producers, directors out there,
2: you know, uh, yeah, and I work in the like TV said, world Steve, for a lot of years. Steven Segal, I work with a lot of liberals and stuff, and I, I get along with them fine. We we we'll have a drink and debate and stuff, and have a good time. But I'm still friends with them, still love them like a brother. I'm on the road with them every week. You know, yeah, politics, I, I, I we don't let it get the in the way problem, of our work and you know.
0: of our but at the end of the day, we're Americans. It's not like we're having to deal with other entities. I was going to say that you know, you know, working closely with Steven Seagal over the years, you know, love him or hate him. It doesn't really matter, uh, you know, whether you knew this or not, and you probably do. Overseas, the guy is is as popular as he was in the '90s. There's absolutely no doubt he's a freaking phenom. He can't go anywhere without being completely swarmed. Right? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a broken old man at this point, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing like, you know, like additional PSD guy. You know, up in the the, 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 the mountains of uh, Kyrgyzstan because they're putting on some giant, uh, you know, uh, horse you know expose where they're lighting guys on fire i mean the amazing shit that i've seen traveling the world including moscow a, 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 for an abundance of time uh with this guy and he any any he, but he's extremely conservative and he's he, i wouldn't say uh right wing because I don't, I don't like that term so much because right. that that sounds like like a nasty word but he's very very conservative he's absolutely pro-american and the funny thing is you know he 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 was born in Detroit. He 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 grew up uh, in the ghetto. He he's his dad did everything he can to, uh you know he he grows up in a in a primarily uh, a black area uh, and he learns how to play uh, multiple instruments. He's a phenomenal fucking guitarist, probably one of the best ever I've ever seen. Wow. I can see some video. <laughs> um and then the guy the guy goes to California because. And he's really, really interested in martial arts after seeing it, and that's all part true. And he goes over to Japan for 20 years and legit first guy to run a, a you know a dojo as, a, as an American, a white guy, you know, a Westerner, uh, because his uh, father-in-law basically gave it to him. Yeah. And every single night, you know, how many Kung Fu movies and karate movies have we watched growing up over the years? And I love I love today, you know, uh, you know, master killer and shit like that. But um <laughs> like legit, and this is no shit. The guy every single night of his life, when, when he took over that dojo, was challenged, just like in those movies. Yeah. And he had to fight him. And, and this is, you know, back in the day, you know, in Japan, and, and see, you now you can add credence to this. Japan's a lot different of a kind of a place. When guys square off, it, it could go all the way. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're us. There, in America, you're we got, you no, know, it's just not the same. It could go all the way nine out of ten times. That's that's how it starts. And there may be that, you know, that 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 point where you know there's not a death involved. But if there was, you, you, there's a likelihood you can get away with it.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. The the and this gives it credence, and and this is legit. First Japanese guy that I ever fought was my first mixed martial arts fight in a five thousand dollar winner take all eight man tournament. No weight divisions, no rules, no time limits. And my first fight was against a guy named uh, Yasunori Matsumoto, who was two time judo champion of Japan and two time Kyokushin champion of Japan, bare knuckle fighter from japan and this guy was legit tough now i uh was able to out wrestle him i got him in an arm bar remind you this is my first ever mma fight so i get him in a tight a tight elbow lock and his his uh elbow tendons and ligaments start snapping like guitar strings and he's not tapping so then the capsule breaks his arm breaks backwards and he rolls and he escapes out of the submission we scramble back up to our feet. I shoot another double leg on him, and he puts me in a choke, a guillotine choke, with the arm that I just dislocated. And he had me in the choke for like two minutes before I finally escaped that, took him down, and choked him out. And so I went. So this is my first fight literally almost to the death, and I went, what the fuck am I doing here, man? This is some crazy shit. So it's, you're, it's, you're completely right It's, it's a warrior
0: mentality, and I don't say – you know we use the term warrior so lightly nowadays because it's like on everybody's, uh, you know, kids have little apps and and you know about the little warrior. But we're talking, let's 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 have a flashback in time, 1970s or earlier. Warrior meant something back then, yeah, um, sure. and it means something now. Don't take that the wrong way, but. You know, like, and, and, and I admire that a lot. I mean, because you're going toe to toe, that's mortal combat. I mean, it truly was, Pat. And 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 Stephen, you know, he's he shared these stories with me, and he's dead serious. Now, these are these are really fucking interesting things that happened in his life that really nobody knows about. Yeah. And you know, that it makes him incredibly interesting because all you see is, you know, it, it, no different than 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 the late great Bruce Lee. You know, um, you know, if you really if you really knew him and and, and several people people you know in like Danny and Santos camp and those guys they they were super tight there was all this stuff you know he was not the person that you see on the on the screen and it, it, it's so different because a, a lot of people may, may have had a negative uh something negative to say about about Steven but I will tell you what the guy goes out of this out of this country and he is treated with respect and he gives it back and yeah. he just he get, kind of gets a raw deal you know and and let's face it He's, he's uh, 65 years old, and I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, bro, he's a formidable man. He is a very large, big, giant, strong guy, especially 65. he's He's got no health problems. He's got hands – as big as two of mine. And right. just by the size and mass, just by mass alone. Think of it like a catapult. You know, you put a rock in a catapult, but the rock's glued inside and it comes down and slams. Even if it really doesn't do anything but use the pendulum effect. And you know this is a fighter. You know about angles and move. I remember when you were teaching me and Scott about angles and, and just the boxing, the the boxing uh, acumen that I learned in that one two day seminar that we put on out here with the Virginia Beach at the police department. That was the most incredible experience from, from, in, with boxing that I've ever had in my life. 100%. Just because you talked about angles and the way to do it, but, but at a mastery level, like I'm, at, I'm getting like, you know, 20 plus years of, of your mastery in like five minutes. So you boiled it all down to like, kind of like Bruce Lee effect, right? You're giving me the best of the best, and and so to to give you that back in, in this other story, and th- and that's how it you know imagine just getting hit with a, a giant hand connected to a giant arm connected to a giant body that just a double leg you know take him down would be an effort in itself.
2: Yeah, I've been hit by big guys like that. It's not pleasant.
0: I, I, yeah, and, and who is and, and, and you've you've trained some of the some of the the, the biggest you know clobber houses in the world out <laughs> Tim there. Sylvia. Oh my God! I I remember like it was yesterday, you know. And who (laughs) thought That dude just was—he was clobber time, clobbering time, you know, like the thing. And it was was just great to watch. Those are those are the fun days. And uh, you know, and and I saw Matt Hughes when we were at the the shot show, uh, like two two shot shows again. And uh, he was hanging out with a bunch of people. It was pretty good. Okay. Some people just don't ever get older looking. I, I, I just get older
2: looking every, like, five seconds. I don't know what the deal you look, is. You look the same, actually. <laughs> no, but Matt's, Matt's legitimately freak strong for his size. But, oh, you know, yeah. but the, the cool That's thing, right. when 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 team guys used to come out, we'd get groups of, like, 30, 40, whatever, would come out to Iowa to train with my fight team. And they'd show up. And, and still to this day, the coolest thing I've ever received from anybody, um, not to put anything down, I get I get stuff from, you know, a lot of coins, a lot of shirts, a lot of hats, a lot of that stuff. But a guy who was a team leader uh, for SEAL Team Six um, carried a flag into a mission and wrote me a letter um, after that, and just said he carried the flag into that mission and said thanks for all the training and all that sort of stuff. That that thing right there is the coolest thing I've ever gotten oh, yeah. from anyone. It meant the most to me um, That's really just cool because of, of the level, you know. But but all those guys, I tell people this story all the time is fighters used to come to us from all over the world who were professional, legit, badass fighters. And after three days at my gym, because we'd always have 95-degree heat, every guy you grabbed was ranked in the top ten in the world, 40, 50 guys. <laughs> and and pro fighters who were great fighters uh, would just come into my office on Wednesday and go, I'm done, man. I, I can't handle this. This is insanity. This is," And every time those groups of SEALs would come, they'd train with us all day long, uh, they battle with us, the grappling practices, the sparring practices, all that sort of stuff. The team leader got knocked out by Drew McFedries, <laughs> and I yelled at McFedries. I go, dude, he's got to go do a job after this. What What are you doing? Don't fucking I don't, you know beat give him beat a TGI. up? Don't die. What know. the fuck? And, and uh, but not, not one time. And it's obviously what you guys have been through through uh, um, uh, you know the history of what you've had to do to become who you are as as a, a special operator in the Navy. Um, not one Navy SEAL ever even remotely said, "I, you know, this is – it was a joke to them, dude, because they'd been through BUDS, they'd been through everything else, and it was a joke. And and the the stories that I've heard out of you guys and, and my kid swim coach – and I'm going to tell this story before we get into your movies, and I want you to plug all your stuff and all of that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, my kid swim coach, when he started his swim team, we were at another team, my wife. I said, we're switching teams. We're going with that guy. And because he and I had talked a couple times, we kind of, you know, just started to get to know each other a little bit. And I, I liked him. I liked his mentality, of course, just because I, I knew what he'd been through. And my wife goes, no, all, all my kids, all our kids' friends are at this other team and this and that. And I go, Do you want your kids to swim, to make friends or, or get work ethic and become friggin' college grads because they paid for it themselves by kicking ass. And so we ended up putting them on his team and, uh, he eventually, we got, you know, we'd become pretty close over the years, and he told me the story about going through BUDS, and you were his, but one of his BUDS instructors, and <laughs> something had happened. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he said, Woody made me, it was hotter than shit out, and Woody made me run up this water tower, and he made me run up it over and over, and it, I was I was dying, I was hurting, I was dehydrated, everything else, um, and every time I ran to the top of the water tower, I had to scream out this window or whatever, and um, the the rep that I had just done, and then that Woody Mr. is the greatest. And so he'd run up to the top (laughs) and scream, scream, Woody Mr. is the greatest, and then run back down to the bottom and then go back up, two, Woody Mr. is the greatest. And then by the time he was ready to collapse, you knew obviously how to cool him down. You you gave him some surf torture or whatever and cooled him back down. But he goes, man, he goes, Woody Woody was the reason I made it through because he – he brought it out of me, and uh, he he loves you, man. He he thinks the world of you, and he remembers on a mission somewhere when you were obviously toward the end of your career with the Navy, um, you you were still giving him tough love, like you you wouldn't even like at times talk to him, and he's like that some bitch is so tough. He goes he like I'd want to go hang out with him and stuff, or go go uh, do stuff, you know, or or talk to him. And he'd be like, you know, whatever, get away, get away, young buck, type stuff, you know. But he goes, he, he respects you a great deal. He loves you, loves you a lot. Uh, so it was-
1: did, did he
0: ever, did he ever tell you about uh, uh, climbing and or, or any any other stories about uh, being on deployment, you know, Romania or anything like that?
2: He told me about getting in trouble in Kosovo a little bit. <laughs> I'll tell you. He said he wouldn't tell me wouldn't tell me what he did, but he legitimately could have got excused from 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 duty uh real easily for what he did but uh he also said there was a sniper on top of a mountain in kosovo and he said they dropped so much ordnance on top of the mountain that like the mountain was like 10 feet shorter by the time they got done
0: you know he was one of the we we uh our platoon got split up on that he was in my platoon and uh we we had gotten uh a call at, at some point where there was a there was an issue at the albanian embassy And they were looking at at performing a NEO, and throughout the course of the entire uh, deployment, you know, we were stuck on a gator freighter, and it was really, really shitty conditions. Uh, They they created like a birthing space out of uh, it it seemed like the old boiler room and shit. And when they got rid of them and and replaced it with new engines, and it was was hotter. You're sweating like a dog in a Chinese restaurant in this place. And, you know, it, it was just the worst uh, experience ever. And we were all stuck down in there and we're, we're going into the scenario uh, after scenario after scenario. But you get pretty bored out there. And, and usually, what the Marines and like the Navy guys call SEALs on, on deployment on these MARGs is they say that SEAL stands for sleep, eat, and lift. And that's pretty true. You know, I mean, that's all you kind of <laughs> fucking do. Uh, but, but I, but I remember we would go into all these, uh, places to do training. Like we went to, into Greece and all these different places. And we did all different kinds of stuff. You know, we did ocean swims out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm talking where the big hungries are, homes. And we did, uh, you know, we did like a lot of hook and pole, like, uh, you know, uh, lead climber stuff from, you know, the water uh, when we were in Greece, Thessaloniki, I think we were. And we just did a lot of really cool shit because we had time to train and we were on a marg. And when you're on a marg, you tend to pull into ports a lot of places, which okay. allows you to work with – like in Turkey, we worked with the Turkish uh, SEALs and we were able to do all kinds of really cool shit. But the one thing that, uh, that I always made sure that we did – is I always felt bad for the recon marines, and because and, and, they had back in, back in this time frame, I think this was like '98. They they had changed their name up a little bit. So the force recon guys had changed their name for a short period of time. They were calling themselves the direct action platoon, the DAP, and they were on the big deck. They were on the other uh, the other helo uh, uh, carrier. Um, and we were stuck on the smaller one with the uh, the battalion recon guys. But there was tons of snipers in that group. And they had all gone to sniper school. These are younger guys, right? And uh, it kind of reminds me of that movie Black Hawk Down, you know, that whole slew of young guys, like the young rangers. That's that's what it was like in, in your mind if you can picture it. And, but these guys – guys can swim, run. They can do everything we can do. They just don't have our training. Let's give them the training. Let's do it. There'll be a force multiplier for us in everything we do. And Why wouldn't we? It'll make yeah. you better trainer. It'll, it'll make you feel better. It'll give you something. We train. We train and train with these guys. Taught them everything we knew. Guess what happens? We go in there for the Neo and the Colonel of the Mew is like in love with us because we, we've been taking care of his boys and nobody takes care of his boys, right? Yeah. He's like you seals are going in to uh, secure the ambassador. The ambassador is at her uh, at the uh, the housing complex, not at the embassy. The embassy housing complex where she had holed up. And you guys are going to go in, you know, boom, hit it hard. You're gonna you're gonna secure the area. Then I'm gonna send my Marines in to do their thing. That's exactly what happened, and we kicked ass on that whole thing. That was badass. And I remember. Uh, throughout the a lot of the training we were doing, like we, we would go do uh, we, we would split up a lot. Some guys would go do diving, uh, and the other guys like when we were in Romania. We went way up into the you know areas like uh, Transylvania. We were doing all this like you know high angle climbing and all this stuff. And like Damien, like he always wanted to be a, a lead climber. He always had big interest. I would always take a guy and, and just and really push him to uh, you know do the most that he could do until he couldn't do it anymore. And then. Try again, and, right. and Damien was kick ass. So I let him do the lead climb for that whole trip. It was really fun. And when we came in for this Neo, now we're sitting around. We got nothing better to do. Um, half the guys get pulled away because there was another threat uh, in, in in Africa, and we had to send half the guys down to um, uh, down near uh, the 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 uh, west coast, uh, off the coast of Sierra Leone, on a PC in order to handle that. And we had to send a, a couple guys. In fact, Scott went on that because he speaks French. So okay. we, we sent him down, and so those guys disappeared. So we were kind of sitting around. We didn't have much to do, and I noticed that uh, the, the general, the brigadier general that was in charge of this whole uh, – it was an exercise. It was a NATO exercise called Resolute Response. can't believe I remember this shit. They might <laughs> getting better. It must be the carrots. Anyways, they uh, – I, I remember we were sitting there, and, I, and he was under a, like a constant threat from the uh, Egyptian Islamic Jihad at the time, and this is in downtown uh, Albania in, in – uh, in Rihanna, so it was in the, uh, in, in Toronto, rather, excuse me, Toronto, and, you know, we were, we were fixing to go back to the, the boat and get out of there, and, you know, it, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you who the general was in a second, and his colonel, his aide, full colonel, um, he's just standing there, and I, and I turned to my, uh, my lieutenant, and I said, Lieutenant, we've got to take advantage of the situation, and my lieutenant was probably the best officer of, it. Ryan Crowley, give, give him props, best officer I've ever worked for in my life, this guy was a total fucking badass, and uh, you know, and, and and he takes care of people too. Like even right now, he has this whole uh, volunteer, this whole hockey thing for uh, kids, like disabled kids, and all this stuff. So, anyways, I'm, I'm with Ron. I said, Ryan, we got to do something about this. We we could do the PSD for the general, and we could keep him secure, and we we get some employment. We you know, so we're, we're pitching, we're marketing ourselves. And uh, you know, he's like, hey, go for it. So I turned to the uh, the colonel, and I mentioned it to him, um, and, I, and I really played it up really hardcore. And he, and he turns to the general, and the general's like, make it happen. So we just scored like a major deal. Why? Because Dev Drew, uh at the time had, had flown in there like PSD guys to take over. Uh, watching the ambassador because that's one of their missions at the time. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they just had extra time on their hands. They usually don't, but uh, at the time, I guess they they had this little unit. So they came and took over, we were kind of out of work. And so we we went to work. We started. We did the PSD for Jeff for several weeks, and and Damien was all on that. And I and I handpicked all the guys because he was one of the best guys. I mean, he's got a great head on his shoulder, but he's a new guy. You know, so you know, he, you know, you just—I was limited because I had so many new guys. But you—you you pick the best guys for the job, and I—I I remember that. But it turns out, so the general was a one-star at the time, Brigadier General uh, Amos, and as you know, he goes on to be a four-star general, uh, the uh, Commandant of the Marine Corps, and the very first Commandant of the Marine Corps that wasn't an infantryman. He was an F-18 pilot, and I—I I was his personal. Uh, Uh, Security officer, and I would switch out 12 on 12 off with Ryan Crowley. And, uh, you know, I I got to know this guy really well. He's one of the the nicest, most honorable men I've ever met in my entire life. And I'm talking about general here. You know, generally, uh, you don't get to four star general level unless you're uh, there's a lot of politics involved in that. So so I, I give full on kudos for that. And it's just kind of like and, – and I remember what happened is we did all kinds of really cool missions, and we did – and we brought the Marines in to, like, do sniper security coverage when we would have a helicopter come in and pick him up, let him down. We did – we coordinated everything. It was badass. And at the end of the day yeah, – and we did get uh, in, in, a, in a slight ambush on one uh, ride up to we, – we would go carve helicopter, different means of transportation to keep switching it up because these – jihadists were trying to take us out and so we we had gone up to look at a, a the french were building a, a school at the top of the hill and we ended up taking the vehicle that time we kind of got into a little bit of an ambush these guys with black ski masks jumped out it was this big shit show and you know my guys are hopping out of the vehicle with uzis and mac it, it, we even had mac 10s and shit back then it was <laughs> fucking badass you know it was like uh you know like escape from new york you know we didn't have the right. big giant suppressor on there but uh, they're all jumping out and uh, you know, I remember the colonel just slides down into the bottom of the seat and was like shitting himself, and I'm flying over the top of the seat on top of General Amos, and uh, I don't know where the hell Damien was at that point, and and that was what he was referring to with all that sniper fire because they were taking, and they ended up bringing in these like these Cobras or whatever the the French had, they just b- were bombing the shit out of that thing for a while. So at the very <laughs> end of this whole thing. And we found like little hide sites for uh, you know SAM sites at the end of the runway to try and take out some of the Lear jets, and it was it was an interesting trip. Carabinieri was freaking the fuck out the whole time, and and they <laughs> do a really good job. They're really paramilitary. I didn't realize that at the time. Uh, but at the very end, you know, we bring the general up. He's getting ready. He's climbing into the Lear jet. He's going to take off. I think I don't know if it was a G five at the time, and he's and he's he's going back to wherever he's going to go back to. I think he was in, he was in NATO at the time, and. Uh, and he turns to me and he goes, uh, and and I won't tell you what he said. It, it was it meant a lot to me. But he takes a star off of his lapel, you know, off of his collar, and he and he hands it to me. And it was just like the, the I, I've never had anybody at you that level something that you know he didn't have to do that. And it was just such a, a meaningful thing because you were just telling me about the guy uh, at six bringing you the the flag and, and what meaning that and, and that that that's, that's my story to share with you is just meant so much to me and I have such a, a respect now and then for for Jim Mattis to work for him years later uh, and then for him to be you know Secretary of Defense now is just like uh, you know that that's why I speak so highly of, of certain things and I, and I have good things to say about all my. Uh, all oh, my uh, my colleagues, my 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 admiral, my frogman, you know admirals and, and things like that, you know Scott Moore and, and the whole lot of them. They're all badasses, love 'em to right. death. But I just you know th- those are those are some of the story. That was that was just a real meaningful story, you know, kind of connected to Damien in that way. Um, so I'm kind of glad you brought it up. Maybe kind of remember some shit. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about uh, let's let's talk about um, movies. Let's talk about Splinter Cell. How how fun was that to do?
0: Well, the irony with Splinter Cell was it was a former Navy SEAL who was aging, who went to a, a special uh, intelligence, uh, an operational uh, intelligence unit, and in the game it was the NSA, which we know that would be uh, fictitious, um, right. who goes on to uh, you know, go on 50,000 different types of missions to... Uh, you know, rid the world of, of 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 whatever bad things he needs to rid himself of. But but the premise of the mo- of the the game was really uh, what what interested me the most. Not not so much that they were like mirroring this character, but it, it was uh, the fact that it was a stealth game. And, and and if you could do like the entire game without killing anybody, I mean that was like a, you know a super super challenging thing. I'm sure many many people did. I of course am not a huge video game. Master, uh, I really did get into those types of thinking games. Um, yeah. I spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, the realisms of games like that, and of course, you know you don't you don't want everything to be realistic in a game or a movie for that matter. It's just not as entertaining um, It's rather boring, so you want there to be some sensationalism and and you know have like you know specialty devices that you can shoot out of the the weapon to give you like advantages, but uh, at the end of the day, it was a really, really cool project. And I and I was able to uh, work with uh, uh, Ubisoft, which they were stationed or it's not stationed, but they were headquartered out of uh, uh, Montreal at the time. And I okay. I, I, I had the the, the the that that's one of the greatest <laughs> cities of all, you know, to go up there. It's uh, it's like going to uh, France before it got overcome with shit shit show, you know. It's well, like my wife's
2: from it, Montreal, so I, I
0: love that place. I mean, I, I realize – Hey, next time you go, call me. We're going. We'll stay at the Sofitel and we'll have a fucking kick-ass time. I mean, but it's women, like women are stuff. amazing up there, aren't they? They really are. I, I love that place. I really do. And people don't really realize it because they're, you know, they're so segregated from the rest of Canada in a way. Yeah. It, it's kind of an interesting place, and there's so much history. And uh, so yeah, they were they are based out of there. It was a fantastic project. Enjoyed it. Uh, they would bring me in from time to time to do, you know, exclusives. Uh, I, I there's a, I, I saw that you, the thing you said to me, uh, or there there was a I was a lot younger when I did the, this one exclusive, uh, uh, where they they were asking me questions and I would answer and I would relate it to how Splinter Cell is like to the real world stuff, and uh, you know I was in this one <laughs> in this one scene in there and you can see it online on YouTube uh you know i'm talking about uh less than lethal use and at the time we really didn't have any like fee- less than lethal field use like type stuff you know like a like a uh you know a, a no shit field taser or or a dart gun you know something that less was, than
2: less than not lethal not back then was
0: a right, a right hand so, of the so i was saying you know like in, in, in the real <laughs> world it's, it's going to be lethal it's it's going to be a, a a rifle round uh, to the gut and 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 then I and then I said order the head. And then I looked at the camera and I was like, yeah, hopefully the head. And, and it was like this big like <laughs> following, and people were like, what the fuck, you're crazy, and all this shit. I'm like, well, I, I was what I was trying to get across was is like, you know, you're always taking a shot at the largest. A uh, piece of body that you can, you know, if you've got a, a headshot vice, a, a body shot in, in a normal situation, non armored or something of that nature, you know, nine out of 10 times you, you're going to you're going to shoot whatever you can see uh, if you're in a barricaded situation and they, all that's shown is a guy's knee. What are you going to shoot? You know, right. She's fucking neat, you know. So it's, it, <laughs> and that's the mentality you have to have. Now, if if this is going to be like a precision, uh, you know, a shot, taking out like some sort of a hostage rescue scenario where you have a good cold bead on his on his head, yeah, yeah, of course you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go for the the, the highest uh, uh, percentage of lethality. Uh, but but that was kind of what I was getting at. I wasn't, you know. Right people take things the wrong way out of context all the fucking time, man. i tell you, it's like, but whatever, I don't care. Yeah. I did a couple of video games after that. I did army of two, which was, uh, like, like, uh, two crazed contractors, you know, pseudo blackwater guys that you know, one guy's like uh, the skinny, wiry, you know, fast, you know, accurate guy. And the other guy's the big, you know, hardcore, you know, thug, you know, bad smash, you know, thing. And, uh, that went, that went pretty well. Um, uh, but uh, I haven't done, you know, the video game thing in quite a while. I, I just kind of kind of moved on from
2: it. Uh, so, Atlantica Group now, you're you're CEO of Atlantica Group, um, right? That's true. It's uh, tell us all I, your you now. When I started yeah.
0: the company years ago, I, I was really focused on just entertainment consulting. And uh, in, in any in any nature of that uh, writing, uh, any other type of uh, consulting a lot of technical advisory stuff it was kind of like a, the role I felt I felt a fit, a fit best in uh, but over the years you know I found that you know I, I can contribute a lot better to to other areas and I you know when you get older and you're a former uh, action guy, you know the, the the way I look at it is because I have absolutely no skills that translate into the modern world. Uh, you know, I'm not an electrician and I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not even good at mowing the lawn. Um, my, I'm best served in, in smoke checking people. And, and that really doesn't translate into the civilian world so much. So what I can contribute is, all the crazy shit that's locked up in, in my cabeza and so I figured yeah maybe I should start writing some of this kind of, this stuff down and, yeah. and uh, as I started for, to... For the uh, lay
1: person though what, do you, what is what is smoke checking? You hook me up with a little glossary definition on that.
0: Uh, that would be uh, uh, accurately pointing a, uh, a weapon at an, at an adversary that needs to go away uh, pulling the trigger and you know that person goes away so you know what i'm saying so okay. now
2: i gotta tell the story on smoke checking when the first time i heard it when i'm out in virginia and there's a bunch of guys there that are um naval special forces guys some of them just back from just back from afghanistan and uh, woody's there and and woody's like hey man maybe i'll jump in on a little bit let's get a little bit of workout in you know these young guys in here i want to check this out and learn a little bit maybe and so he's in there working out and i'm watching him and like, dude, this, I'm saying to myself, this guy moves really good. Like, this, this guy's legit, like, can fucking fight with his hands. So I go, Woody, and he's quite a ways across the gymnasium and they got wrestling mats down and all that. And I go, Woody, I go, uh, dude, what, what kind of black belts you got? You, I, you're, you, move pretty good. What, what kind of black belts you got? You got a black belt? And he goes, yeah, I got a black belt, Milicic. I go, what, what kind of, what do you got a black belt in? And he goes, smoke checking motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and I go all right then. That's that's good enough. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Well, like I said, you know, I I, I I what I meant to say was I got a, I got a black belt in being a smartass. So that that's all. You know. <laughs> but, no, I but I appreciate that,
2: dude. The, the two Jewish guys that were working together, and uh, they were telling me the story with the uh, the German, the German uh, special forces guy, and they were messing with him, right? And they're like, Hans, come here. And Hans walks over. And one of them says to the other one, hey, Hans, um, we were wondering how many Jews you can fit. And these are two Jewish guys that are Navy SEALs, right? And they're like, hey, Hans. Um, And they're talking to a German. We know how sensitive Germans are about their history with the Jews and all that. And uh, so they deliberately talk with him. And they go, hey, Hans, how many, we're kind of curious, how many um, Jews can you fit in a Volkswagen? And a lot of people have heard this joke before, but this poor German dude hasn't. And he's like, I, I don't know how many. And one of them goes, uh, well, you get two in the front, two in the back, and like 50 in the ashtray. Oh, no! He just went there. This- oh, no! Oh, no! But this German special and look, I'm not saying this. I know. I, I've, I know. I I've got tons of Jewish friends. I love Jewish. I love Jews. So that's not the point. But the point was <laughs> them messing deliberately with a German special forces dude and freaking him out. And the guy goes, "You cannot talk like this. You were, oh my God, this is horrible. You can't do this." And and both of them look at him and go, "Shut up, Hans. We're Jews. You idiot." <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: Holy
0: shit. Yeah, you know, I, I, I will say that sometimes uh team guys they the, the the sense of humor is, is is not always received well. Um Well they're uh, twisted. I mean and, they've, they've, they've been accused,
2: through some shit. They're accused. hardcore. They're right. they are hardcore they do not It's not you know, the first not time they're accused correct.
0: of a, a lack of sensitivity. Um
2: Bunch of but Lake I can Wilson's. say
0: that we do not get that training. We do not get sensitivity training in the in the naval special warfare community, at least not when I was there, so Maybe that's
2: maybe that's a problem. Maybe we need to uh, elicit that. But well, you know that the the the, the uh, they also told me that they would capture uh, Taliban guys or Al Qaeda guys and zip tie the, the bag over the guy's head, the the canvas bag or whatever, and and start transporting, zip tie his wrists, and tell the translator to say, you know, tell us where the explosives are, tell us where the cash is, you know, the weapons and and everything. Um, where's the where's the stash at? Um, and the guy wouldn't talk, and then they'd say. If you don't tell us we're going to take your kids back to America and raise them as Jews and the guy would freak out and start talking.
0: <laughs> you know what's ironic is that they would have probably had to say that through an interpreter and that interpreter yeah. probably thought that was all fucked up. <laughs> so, <laughs> God knows what really was said, you know. Well, they uh, said that the
2: guy would go durka 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 durka. <laughs>
1: oh man. Pats yeah. working blue tonight. Pats working blue.
2: i'm just telling stories man i know i know stories of these guys but
1: what do you got anything
2: else to plug buddy before we let you go man we've kept you long enough uh
0: you know like i said you know uh i i'd really like to uh get the story out uh even if it doesn't have the names of the guys uh in this in this uh production because it's uh it's 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 really interesting um you know i've uh You know, we were talking about Reagan earlier and and the things that he did when he was uh, an actor and things of like nature, and the way he covered stuff, you know, kind of beautifully. And, you know, you look at some of the guys that are rather – uh, conservative in Hollywood today that have you know uh, you know quite a reputation for uh, doing great works you know movies and things of that nature' you know mel gibson 's uh, one that comes to mind immediately um, yeah. and when you look at uh, uh we were soldiers once for instance, I mean you really got to kind of look at like the underlying tone of of what 's happening and that 's what i 'm trying to cover in, in my in my movies and my writing is you know uh no matter where you are in in a situation similar in that movie there was just like one shit show after the next it was you know how many layers of shit can we pile on this this situation before it's it's you know completely uh you know dire and, and then it goes past that into you know everybody dies and, and and it's not a good movie anymore but there's that underlying it's the ability to write and the ability to direct uh, where you've constantly got an underlying sense of hope and no matter what happens if no matter how bad it can get and this is how it is in real life in the teams and this is why we'll be laughing after three days of rain and the guys that go up to bettendorf and they they're they're sweating their ass off and they're they're dying and, and it's just like it doesn't matter how bad it gets it's not about like owning the suck it's about you know just sitting there and laughing your ass off because it's so fucked up. It's funny. And it's because no matter what you do, when you get through like whether it's buds training or whether it's some of this other like really hard stuff is just maintaining that underlying, you know, sense of hope no matter where you are, what you're doing. And, and, and that kind of translates into, uh, the biggest, uh, philanthropy piece that I have going on today is, uh, an organization called the Save Me Foundation, yeah, and it started uh, where it, was, it started out as the Save Me campaign, uh, in, a, in an attempt to uh, do nothing more really than to to join forces with folks out there that are experiencing loss and suffering from uh, loved ones and friends that are uh, overwhelmed with you know opiate addiction and and they don't know how to get out. They feel that they don't have the type of knowledge that perhaps they should have. It's not easily accessible. The internet can teach you a million different things, but when you have a, a collaborative site where people are sharing, hey, this is what it looks like. Are you seeing little pieces of tinfoil roll it up on the floor? Are you seeing these little baggies? Those are pretty obvious signs. But what about the non-obvious stuff? And what about just putting out like information? You know, there wasn't a real good place to find something like that where a lot of people were sharing like nuts and bolts of what what to look for and what to do and so I got pretty fed up when a very very close family member uh, got wrapped up into uh, heroin and right, right. I, I felt like this it's time to it's time to act it's time to uh, you know take the ball cap off with the camouflage ball cap off and put one on that that says save me and, and put yourself out there be a little vulnerable and, and ask for help and I did that, and I and I received that help, and it was able to uh, educate the people around me, and I was able to do things for this person, and I was able to really and truly help them and save them, and and, and it's changed my life. And so, you know, I, I encourage anybody that's experiencing this kind of thing to, um, you know, think about what it is that that they know and, and 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 a way to share that in any way that they can. Like I said, uh. Um, it, we're now trying to get a, another Facebook page up with the save me uh, campaign the save me foundation going and from from what we had before because we closed the other one down it, things were getting all screwed up um, at a website so and it's nonprofit and, it, and there's no real exchange of money although a lot of people like to donate things and then what we just try and do is if we had a one gentleman he was really kick ass he donated us ten tickets to the Indy 500. Yeah, that's a big deal, man. That's yeah. a lot of dough. We turned around and we were able to, uh, use that as a way to, uh, uh, f- provide money to one of the organizations in, in order to, to dump some, some money that they needed for one of these, uh, uh, re- rehabilitation facilities. That's, uh, uh, doing really great things. Uh, I, I won't reveal some of this stuff because I don't want to put some of them down. I mean, there's a lot of great places out there. There's a lot of bad places too, but, uh, yeah. you know, any place is better than, than, you know, I don't know if you ever watched a person go through detox through heroin, but it's a pretty sickening and horrible thing to watch, and if you can do anything to prevent it, and feel free to call me, reach out to you, I'd be happy to to help with anything. So that's... Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and it's such an epidemic now, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's hitting, like, older people, younger people, I mean, especially in St. Everywhere, Louis, man. like, I've literally just, it's, I know it's everywhere, but just me in St. Louis, I just know a couple people, and it's... It literally yeah. is an yeah. epidemic. You got EMTs rolling around with the Narcans now. I think it's called Narcan or whatever that is. it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's really really sad, man. And it's
0: a lot of people don't even realize that you know you got your China White on the East Coast and you got your black tar on the on the West Coast and they, they get a little confused on what's what. They don't they don't see it. Uh, you know when you when you when you got a kid who uh, might be sixteen seventeen, he's using needles. Uh, I mean, you got a serious problem and you better start acting yeah. quickly. And you know, once this kid gets a hold of something that's laced with fentanyl or something, and that's that's, that's going
1: to say here they're right doing a right the fentanyl bits, at yeah.
0: at night. Kids are 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 having to like oh, abuse a Xanax just to go to sleep at night because they're having so many neurological pains and, and symptoms. Like imagine like restless leg syndrome, you know, times ten, and and they can't sleep. They're they're up. They're not able to function. So they're like OD'ing on Xanax, and that's killing. Them. Like a lot of actors do, you know, they mix yeah. too many things. Um, And it's not like the the H that kills them, but it's it's all the other shit they're trying to do to to pop out of it, you know. So,
2: yeah. anyways, guys. Uh, no, thank you, Woody. We're super, gonna pump all this stuff, pump pleasure. all your causes, you your websites. Um, how can people reach you on like Twitter, Facebook, all that?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm, it, it's it, right now. Like I said, we're revamping some stuff, but you can on Facebook, you can find it as the as Save Me campaign. Um, and as things start to change around, right, or you can uh, you can reach out to me just on my, my personal Facebook page at the time. Uh, I go by Richard Woody, mister. Um, so don't ask me why. But uh, I, I guess I started it. And you know how it is. It's like I got I to gotta address Congress and show up in, in a three-piece suit to get my name changed on Facebook. But nevertheless, uh, so that that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other projects that I've been working on, movies and things of that nature. But uh, maybe that's save that for another time, you know.
2: I'll put you in touch with a, a couple of my producer director friends. We might be able to get something working.
1: Yeah, I've been in Sag for ten years, so if you ever need an actor to get killed off early in the flick, let me know.
2: <laughs> yeah, hey, you guys can both be in it. If we find the right guy, you guys
0: can both be. I can I can see I can see Pat being that gruff guy who you know. You what would happen if you had to remove the beard? I mean, I guess it would have to take a lot of money, right?
2: Well, you know what? Uh, after Leadville, after I run Leadville in August, I'll shave it off. Right.
1: <laughs> what what was the idea we had the other day pat ex mma star travels the world doing seminars but also engaging in wet works
0: hey i will <laughs> i will give you i will i will plug this last thing is uh working with uh uh, Stephen on a on a concept to uh, where he really does have access to some of the most uh, phenomenal, the oldest and, and the ancient, the last of the masters that are out there in the worlds of uh, Ken Kenjutsu, uh, Karate Do, uh, a lot of Okinawan sports, and even into the stuff you know we've got uh, Danny Nisanto on the list, but all the right. the fastest masters, and I'd love to collaborate with you, Pat, on it, you know making sure that list is great and. And getting you involved in any way because what we like to do is is is, is have a show where we're traveling around and showcasing the masters bringing right. some of the best the top guys you'd be great for this and i'd be open to, to talk to you about that bring these guys and that would be a cool fucking show yeah, and we've got a whole lot of interest and discovery and things like that and so we're, we're 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 kind of pushing that uh steven he's a little bit pricey um, but, you know, you know, I think that it's a good draw. And everybody, you know, I don't care who you are. Everybody walks away, uh, you know, enjoying meeting meeting the big guy. So right, um, right. if you've got some ideas, like I said, you've got a, you've got a lot of uh, history and, you know, so many great people. Nobody's ever really done a show about the last of the match because once they're gone, they're gone. Right, and we're going to be right. bummed. You know, like even in the jujitsu world right now, you know, there's, you know, now that Helio has passed a few years ago, it's sort of like the guys left behind him aren't that that old
2: right now. And Carson, so Carson's passed like, away too, so. Excuse me? And Carson, his brother, passed away.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it's a perfect point. We were just talking about that last night at dinner, Scott and I, so, you know, we missed that opportunity, and we don't want to miss anymore. And There's a few guys out there that are like on their last leg, like, the, like Ip Man, his two sons. Uh, they're, they're still, they're like in their 80s and they're still out there. And, right. and, and, and Stephen has that access and we can do that. We were actually going to bring, we were going to, uh, be reaching out to, and if she ever hears this, and, and I've talked to Ron Balke about this, but if, uh, is, is talk to his, uh, his wife, Diana Lee, uh, Inasanto as a, a possible co-host option just because, uh, you know, what a, what a, what a great dichotomy of, of forces there. Right. Uh, you know, and so so these are these are ideas we're playing around with, but there's a there's a whole lot of interest in this, and I know you know with your martial arts background, I figured you'd think that that was an interesting thing. So I just wanted oh, to throw cool. it out there for your fans. Uh, we're, we're really
2: uh, moving ahead on this project. Awesome, brother. Well, Woody, thank you very much for yes, sir, for spending so much time with us, man. The stories are incredible. Always an honor to talk to somebody like you. And I uh, did, my brother. Ditto much jeff you want to close us out no man
1: bro. believe me this is about the quietest i've been for any episode it's been awesome to just sit back and and shut what the kids call the fuck up and listen to uh some amazing stories (laughs) sir i I more than appreciate and uh your service and you know you're welcome back anytime to pub anything you got going my friend
0: thanks a lot i I really appreciate it guys and and, and god bless you all right well take care brother
1: absolutely mr woody mr ladies and gentlemen uh stay tuned folks there will be more